Think about the word colossal. You might think of a big Ferris wheel. Uh, in fact, if you think of the word colossal and you know anything about history, uh, there is a, um, a, a colossal statue in Rhodes that was like 100 feet tall, which was known in that ancient world as a big colossal statue. And if you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, you see the king erected this big, tall statue, which was, was used the word colossal in some translations. It might use the word huge or giant or great big, you know, it's just big, big, big uh, thing. It's interesting, the word Colossians, they don't know where that city got its name, Colossae. Uh, they have like three or four different theories from where it came from. So it wasn't like a big city. Uh, they have different thoughts about where it came from. But I see when Paul wrote to, to this church in Colossae, he had some very important things to say to them. And as he did with many of his letters, he wove prayer throughout all of the letters that he had. And he would even stop at times and write out a prayer as a part of the epistle, the letter that he was doing. And I have the privilege today to walk you through one of Paul's prayers. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is, is uh, just the idea of how important it is for us to pray Scripture and to be aware that the Lord has given us His Word and we can pray His will when we're praying Scripture according to His will. And so what I'm going to dive into is with this picture here of Atlas. Atlas was this guy that held the world on his shoulders. And every muscle is straining. And this is a statue that you can see in New York City at Rockefeller Center. That's where the Christmas tree is during that time. And NBC headquarters are there. And so in Rockefeller Center, you see this big atlas carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder. Every muscle straining. And right across from the street is a picture. Uh, in the picture you see it is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And I heard Skip Heisig, a preacher out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, talking about this and using this illustration. And he talked about how you need to think about if you go on the other side of the street and go into the cathedral, you're going to see up at the altar area this statue of the boy Jesus. Now, it's not a real lifelike statue, but he's holding in his left hand the world. And it's very ironic to think, here you got the atlas on one side of the street holding the weight of the world, and on the other side, the little boy Jesus holding the whole world in his left hand. I think that's cool. And it begs the question, which side of the street do you want to be on today? Where are you at when it comes to the street? I think when we think about praying scripture, uh, he started out, and you would have had it in Gene's sermon last week in verse 3 of uh, you see, we always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he would begin his letters with prayer, praying for his people. Now, do you notice what he says? I, we always pray for you. Historically, he never met these people. It was 10 years before he met these people in Colossae, if he met them. This was what's called a circular letter. It was shared with the church at Laodicea, the Laodicea and at other places. This letter was written for, to be passed around, like many of the New Testament letters were. But, but no doubt this letter was a circular letter to be passed along to church, to church, to church. And, and he makes the point of how important prayer is, and he will do it throughout. But he's combating some things that are going on in the culture there, some infiltrators that have come into the church. And these infiltrators are what's called Gnostics. 
And Gnostics are people that believe that spirit is good and matter is evil. And they had take this whole philosophy towards the, the, the Christianity and want to impose that on, on the, uh, the, the believers. And it's a false teaching, and it's still there today that we, we deal with it. Uh, it's kind of on the same idea of somebody has a secret knowledge that you don't have. I know something you don't know, and I've got some secret knowledge that you don't have yet. And Paul, in, his, in this passage, is going to show them how that there is a secret knowledge that God has given us, the mystery of the gospel, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's going to talk about how you don't have to worship angels. You worship the Lord Jesus and lift him up. He talks about all kinds of things with Christ as the preeminent priority number one. That's going to be the theme you see throughout. And there's like a filter uh, that you're going to see. You know, when you think about the last few weeks uh, up in Canada, they've had all kinds of uh, brush fires and uh, forest fires, and the smoke has drifted down here. And, and I was watching on the news this week how that that makes for some most beautiful sunsets because the, the, the light infractions and the way it's hitting and everything, and it's filtering. And we need filters in our life. Some people don't live with a filter at all. They just kind of you know, go, go here, there. But filters are good because they help us gauge and see what's right and what's wrong. And prayer is essential. Prayer, you don't ever reach the point that you don't need to pray anymore. And I would even contend when you get to heaven, you're still going to be praying. You're talking. You're right there in front of him. You get to see him and worship him and be with him. And prayer is like the first thing, the second thing, and it's the third thing. And we need to pray, and we need to pray, and we need to pray. And as he wrote in here, he said, we pray always. And that's the idea that he had behind when he told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Now, how do you do that? I mean, you take that literally. We should take that literally. And it's like when you're, everything you're doing, be in a constant state of prayer and communion and communication with the Lord. And I'm going to give you basically... Four questions that we can walk through together. It's going to remind us how much a privilege prayer is, how much that prayer helps, and how much that prayer, uh, God uses prayer in our life to even bring health, and how prayer draws us closer to the Lord. And sometimes what the problem is, we have a lack of knowledge, and we don't know about praying like we ought to know. And I'm not here to induce guilt on you because all of us struggle in our prayer lives. We want to pray more. We want to be more effective prayers. But I believe what you're going to see right here is God wants us to pray. And he wants us to pray with, uh, with a fervency that's going to, to make a difference in your life and the lives of all those around you. My mom had a plaque in her house that, that I remember to this day, and it said, Prayer Changes Things. I thought that was cool. But as I've thought more on that, you know what prayer changes? I would have like a little addendum to it. Prayer changes me. When I pray, God begins to change me. You may have heard it said, well, prayer works. Well, prayer does work. But that, again, is kind of similar to the plaque. It's like God works when we pray. God is the one who does the work. Prayer is just the medium, the vehicle, the channel from which we get in touch with God to be in line with him and hear what he has to say to us. And that's where it really gets me to this idea of having a filter. And these four questions that I have for you today are going to give us that filter. And I think it's pertinent to every one of us where we're at right now. The first question is, is this the will of God? 
and we're going to see it in verse 9. I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll begin to break it down. Verse 9 of, of Colossians 1. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual, understand, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's a prayer. In fact, if you were to read this whole uh, sentence from verse 9 to verse 20 is one sentence Paul writes. Some would say Paul didn't know grammar because he has a tremendous run-on sentence there. But there is a, a, a place where he's going with this. And what I see in this passage is the first thing, is this God's will? Is this God's will? You need to ask this question because he is praying right here that I am praying for you. Ever since we first heard about you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Isn't that what we all want to know? To live your life without any concern for the will of God, it, it would be a tragedy. It would be a tragedy. And all of us want to know what God's will is. Some of us struggle because we think, well, God's will is like a destination or it's like an itinerary. We need to get the, the map and we can walk this will. And as you read in the scriptures, it's, it's not that. Uh, it, it's more in, where you're in relationship with God in such a way that you're walking with him and you're close to him and he's revealing to you that next step. It's what he did for Philip the evangelist when he was preaching in Samaria. And many people were coming to Christ and lives were being changed there in Acts chapter 8. And then the Lord tells him, go to the desert place. He didn't tell him anything more. And it's like God knew, God knew it was desert and he reminded him it's a desert place. But God had one strategic person there, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was ready to receive the gospel. In fact, he was reading his Bible. God put him in the right place at the right time. And that's what being in the center of God's will is all about. It's being in the right place at the right time, knowing that God is directing and leading you by his spirit. And he leads and directs you by his word. And part of Paul's prayer was for three things, that you would have a complete knowledge and you would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. See those three things right there in that, those verses? That complete knowledge. That word complete is like a kind of a, a, a cue for those Gnostic people that thought they had everything all figured out. And they were this super elite Illuminati kind of class of people that knew everything that anybody else didn't know. But what Paul is saying is, in Christ, we can have all the knowledge and the fullness. In fact, he writes in verse 19 in this same chapter, that he writes and says that the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. And in Jesus, we have the fullness of him. And every one of us has access to Jesus and the relationship with him. And it's out of that relationship that we can know God's will. We sang that song today about the, that was a, a part of like the Lord's Prayer. 
And in the Lord's Prayer, some people would say that's a weak prayer to pray, Thy will be done. Well, if that's a weak prayer, you need to talk to Jesus because Jesus in the garden said, Not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And if this cup could pass any other way, I will do it. But he submitted to the will of the Father. And that should be our own desire, our own ambition, our own will to know what God wants us to do. Now, that may be in regard to who you marry, of course. That's going to be in regard to your vocation and your work. And many graduates are going out and trying to figure that out. I've just recently retired after 22 years with the North American Mission Board. Last time I spoke to you, I was not retired. Now I am retired, and I'm enjoying that, and that's, that's been a, a blessing. Uh, but that doesn't stop God's will. I still need to seek God's will every day in the small things and in the big things. And you need to ask that filter question, is this God's will? And the other word is spiritual wisdom. This is not just any kind of wisdom. This is spiritual wisdom. There's wisdom out there that the world has. That worldly wisdom is sensual. It's carnal. It's, it's all about self. It's about selfish ambition. But the spiritual wisdom comes from God. It comes from above. That other kind of wisdom James talks about, it came from below. And there is a wisdom. It's either from God or it's not. And you've got to discern that. And that's a part of the, the, the relationship you have with Jesus that he helps you to discern that. There were four times that Jesus said in the Gospels, have you not read the Scriptures? And he said it to the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. And those were people that loved the Word of God and they loved the Scriptures. And Jesus had to correct him over and over again and say, have you not read the Scriptures? That is where you're going to find the direction for your life. That's where God's going to direct you in the next step. You need to saturate yourself in the Word of God and know the Word of God and be immersed in His Word and study His Word daily and listen to what He's saying to you because that's His voice. He will speak to you so clearly. And that's why you can pray without ceasing, pray as you're reading the Word, and read the Word without ceasing and get the Word in you as much as you can in every single way. That's the beauty of it, and that's how you're going to know the will of God. The other thing we see here is not just spiritual wisdom, but understanding. You know a lot of people that are way educated beyond their intelligence. They have lots of degrees behind their name, but they can't find their way out of wherever. You know? And here, we, this is not about intelligence and, and book smarts. This is about hearing from God, knowing his voice, and knowing his direction, and following his lead I love what Ron Hatchcraft says about finding God's will. He gives three simple helps, and I love this. You might want to write this down. You want to want it badly. Do you want God's will? Want it badly. Secondly, he says, approach it neutrally. So don't come with your mind made up. This is already, have a blank sheet of paper before the Lord. Sign your name to the bottom and say, God, you fill it up, whatever you want me to do. Come with that mentality. And the third thing he says is act responsively. When God tells you what he wants to do, then you obey. That's what Philip did in that story. Sometimes God will show you what he doesn't want you to do in order to show you what he wants to do. Acts 16, great example of that. They prayed to go Bithynia. The, they, Paul and the team, the church planning team, they prayed to go to Bithynia. They prayed to go to Maasia. But both times the Holy Spirit said, no, the Lord forbid them. And then you know what happened? You read it in Acts 16 that a Macedonian, they had a vision. And the Macedonian said, come help us. Come over here and help us. And they concluded the Lord was leading them to the Macedonia. And then the woman, 
the women who were selling purple, Lydia and her friends, came to Christ. Then a, a fortune teller was delivered from that darkness she was in. Then a jailer and his whole family came to Christ. And you had the makings and the beginnings of a church. I'm not saying I'm Paul the Apostle, and I'm not saying that I'm a part of that team. But the Lord led us to move to Newtown back nine years ago. And we came here with the, the intention to see a new church started. And Catherine sang with us in the chapel at one of our early times. And I think maybe even at the restaurant when we were there. We started in our home. And look where God has brought us now. God has been so good to us. And he's got great plans ahead for us. He has a will for his church. He has a plan for his church, for his people collectively. And he has a will for each one of us. And we've got to want it. We've got to say, Lord, whatever you have, we'll do it. And what was really neat was we met a person, a peace, one person that had been praying that God would start a church here. And that was our confirmation to come on and dive in and follow God's next step with that. The second filter I think you need in your life is not only asking, is it God's will? But the second one is, is this pleasing to God? And you're going to see it right here in the, in the way you live in verse 10. The way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Walking in a way. This is not a sprint, the Christian life. It is a marathon. It is a walk. That word walk is used throughout Scripture to describe what it means to follow Christ. You walk with him. We sing the old hymn. And he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. And, and the Lord walks with us. Do you fully get the impact of that to know that Jesus indwells you through the Holy Spirit and he walks everywhere you're walking? I want that just kind of marinate a little bit inside you. Has he walked with you? He, if you're a believer here today and you know Christ, where have you been walking? What have you been doing? Have you been reflecting God-pleasing things? I love in the story of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus got baptized not to be saved. He got baptized to show, show obedience to his father, to be obedient, to, to fulfill righteousness at the right time, to fulfill the will of God, that he would be baptized by John the Baptist. He got baptized to give us an example to follow that. Once you believe in Jesus, then you follow him in believer's baptism. He gave us that, that, that example. And I love in that story how the voice from heaven and the spirit of, as a dove came, the voice, what did the voice say? Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You hear that word? Pleased. And the idea here in these verses is that we want to please God. Now, I'm an old school Christian rock guy back in the 80s, 90s. No, actually, a little bit of the 70s. There was a group by the name of Petra. They're still playing, old guys playing, like a lot of these old guys still play. And the group Petra had a song. It was called God Pleaser. I listened to it on the way to church this morning. I don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. Lord, just give me the wisdom to discern the two apart. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. And that's the kind of question we need to ask about everything we do and everything we say as we try to discern and do the will of God is to say, is this pleasing to God? Jesus himself, this blows me away. You read it in John 8, 29. You can mark it down and look at it later. 
But it says in John 8, 29, that Jesus said, I always do what pleases my Father. Always. There wasn't a time he didn't please the Father. He always pleased the Father. And that should be your desire, your heart desire too. Enoch walked with God. He walked. And he was no more. He was taken up. He was raptured. Scripture makes it plain. He walked by faith, and then the Lord took him up, and he was gone. God is looking for fruit in our life. He's looking for the fruit. You see it there in verse number, um, producing good, uh, every good kind of fruit. And all the while, you grow as you learn to know God better and better. There's like David Jeremiah talks about fruit in the Scriptures, in the Bible, Bible examples of fruit. You see it on the screen if you'll show it up here. And they all start with C. And I would write these verses down if you've got a pen and you want to write it down. Character. The Bible describes fruit as character, Christian character in your life. Walking with Christ, obeying Christ in the way you live. Your lifestyle is going to be a reflection. That's what this verse in Colossians is saying. Then in conduct, Romans 6.22 talks about it in terms of our conduct, our lifestyle, what we do. Then we see it in Hebrews 13.15. And we talked about that a little bit this morning, Catherine, about our lips giving fruit of praise and thanksgiving. Our lips can give fruit. And then we also see in contributions, Philippians 4, Paul talks about he wanted them to give a gift so they would have fruit to their account. Giving and stewardship and giving of your resources to the Lord and through the ministry is a way to bear fruit in your life. And then last but not least, and this is probably one of the most important fruit there is, it's converts. It's people coming to know Jesus and following him in believer's baptism. That's that's fruit. And uh, Proverbs 11.30 says, He that wins souls is wise. And Romans 1.13 talks about the fruit of, of people coming to Jesus. John 15 talks about abiding in me. You abide in me. My word abides in you. And you will bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. In fact, that John 15 talks about how that we bear fruit, we bear more fruit, and then we bear much fruit. And you know how God does it? He does it through a process called pruning. He cuts back things in our life. He disciplines us. He cuts things out in order to get us to where we need to be. And that kind of transitions me to the next thing. Is this an attack or is it a test? Or you could say discipline. Is it discipline? So we see in this passage back in Colossians verse 11, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. I'm going to stop right there on that verse. Think about those words, endurance and the power and endurance and and patience. This Paul knew fully well that the spiritual that war life was a battlefield, and it is a warfare. Now, I, I, I think I try to think about this in my own life. When did I first realize that being a Christian was like being in in a war? Because it is. You are in a spiritual battlefield. The devil wants to bring you down. The devil wants to distract you. The devil's going to fight against you. And at the same time, you are, you are battling to walk in the Spirit and, and stay close to the Lord and be all that you can be. That's why Paul said, put on the full armor of God in Ephesians uh, 6. That's why he told us to, to fight the battles and tear down strongholds in, in 1, 2 Corinthians 10. 
He told us to do those battles and fight like the Lord wants us to fight. He gave us that example. There's a story of Jay Kessler, who was the president of Youth for Christ. He was flying on a plane somewhere, and he was, uh, must have been a long flight because they had a meal. I don't remember. It's been a long time since they had a meal on a flight. But he was flying, and this guy was sitting right next to him, and the meal was being served, and he did not, uh, he did not lower his tray like everybody else was because he didn't want the meal. And then it's like he bowed his head, and he was praying. And Jay Kessler saw this, and he thought, good, this guy's praying right here. He's praying. And he just stuck up a conversation with him when he paused, and he said, said, I noticed that you were praying. And he said, yes, I'm praying. He said, and he said, well, are you a believer? And he goes, no, no, I'm a Satanist. And he goes, I worship Satan. And my prayer is that churches will fail, and pastors will fail, and, and marriage, their marriages will crumble. And his, and his desire was that they, every Friday they would skip a meal and they would pray. They would fast and pray for the downfall of the church. It's just a stark reminder that that kind of stuff is real and it's going on all around us. And there's a spiritual battle and there's that tug and pull. But not everything you see is an attack from the devil. I've heard people make this excuse and say, I had a flat tire today and it was the devil got my tire. No. It may be that God is testing you to see your patience and your endurance and how you're going to handle that situation. These words in this passage, uh, endurance, oftentimes mean more about uh, situations and circumstances you find yourself in. And commentators also said the word patience is more about relating to people and dealing with people. We all need patience. We all need endurance in our life. And we all need to fight the battle. And we operate from victory. Some of us, when it comes to dealing with the, the, the spiritual warfare element of life, the Christian life, is we're like a chameleon in a bag of Skittles. We're just plain confused. And we don't know the Word of God. We don't know the Scriptures. We don't know what the Bible says. We don't know the first thing about what, how to pray and how to deal with these kind of things, and it kind of freaks us out. But i got to tell you, they, we deal with this. We should be, we're dealing with this all the time. And we've got to be strong in the Lord and be, be fight with the might that he's given us. The spiritual might and the battles are, are one in Christ. And so see that glorious power. It's like dynamic dynamite. In fact, that's the meaning of the words there when it says glorious power. It's like dynamic dynamite. You put it in and it does its work. And that's the way God does in our life. So we see a third thing here, a fourth thing, I'm sorry. Is this going to affect eternity? This is another filter question that you need to ask. And we see it in verse, the last part of verse 11. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is where I want to be a little personal with you here. The Lord's been teaching me some things in the last six months or so. And I remember hearing Leonard Ravenhill, an evangelist of old, who talked about eternity. And he talked about how that we're not eternity conscious enough in our lives. We're all consumed with what's in the temporary right here. And it's, so, it's who we are. We struggle with that all the time. 
And he told the story of a guy who writes, the, put a, a plaque, and he said, and just the simple word, eternity, and we keep it before him. And every day when I start my journal, I do a box now, and I write the word eternity in it as I begin my day, and I think about this new day. Eternity. Have you thought about eternity today? When I was involved with a, a youth camp one time, we had this, this poster up on the wall, big, big plaque-like thing, and it said, only one life, what's done for Christ, uh, that only one life, what's, what's done for self will not last, but what's done for Christ will last. What you do for Jesus is going to make eternity. Are you putting your treasure up in heaven? The other thing that God's been speaking to me in, in just a, a, a more of a kind of a, a partner way with this is by the, a man by the name of Frank, uh, put this up here on the screen, Frank uh, Lombok. And he wrote, he was a missionary in the Philippines. And he wrote letters back home, and they put his letters in a book. And these letters, uh, uh, the whole concept, the idea was that I want to live every minute conscious of God, conscious of the Lord and what he's doing in my life, and whether it's thanking him or praising him. How many minutes do we let slide by? Think of the stopwatch. How many minutes do we let slide by, and we don't even think about God? We're not conscious of him. We're not thinking about his word. We're not praising him. We're not thinking about him. And this has challenged me. And so on my journal, I write a little circle with like a minute hand that's really close to each other. And I want to be reminded of eternity. And I want to be reminded of every single minute that the Lord has given me so that I can walk with him in communion. And I'm so challenged by this guy because he would ask these questions when he's talking to people and thinking, you know, in his mind, Father, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say here? Are you talking, do you have that ongoing running conversation with God all day long? That's the kind of relationship you can have with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it's a joy-filled relationship. I almost shared the video, but I didn't want to give up four minutes of my time preaching, but I want to tell you to go look at this video. Maybe you've seen it before, but it's a, a story of this lady who bought a mask for her birthday. She went to Kohl's, and she bought this Chewbacca match mask. And if you've seen it, some of you have seen it. And if you, she put, she's sitting in her car, she's videoing herself, and she puts this mask on her head, and she's got long hair, so she kind of looks like Chewbacca. And when she opens her mouth, the mask goes, ah, you know, like Chewbacca. And she starts getting tickled, and she starts laughing at herself, and she bought herself a birthday present, and there's such joy. Just Google, Chewbacca mask woman you know, joy. (laughs) It was her birthday present to herself. In no way of comparison, the joy that we have in Jesus, the joy is, is, is real, folks. It's joy in spite of circumstances. It's joy in spite of what may be going on in your life. It's joy that God can only give And that kind of joy will change your life. And as he begins to write here, he says, God has enabled you. I thank the Father, this attitude of gratitude he had. God has enabled you to share in the inheritance. He's qualified you. He's made you. He's given you your inheritance. Like Joshua and the the land when they divided up, he said, this is your inheritance. You have that in Christ. You have the inheritance in Christ. And then he goes on and he says that you have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness We've been delivered. We've been saved from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus did that for us. And then we see also that we've been transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. 
And the idea of transferred is like you've been picked up and plopped into another place. And it made me think of as a little boy when we used to go to the drive-in movie theater and my dad would make uh, popcorn in, in, in the, the paper grocery bags and we'd fill it up with popcorn and we'd go watch the movie and it'd probably be a double feature because we'd come home and I remember getting carried in. I don't remember getting carried in, but I remember falling asleep in the car and I remember waking up in my bed. And it's kind of the same idea that the Father carries you and transfers you into a new place, a new realm of living, a new reality in your life when you've been born again. And when you die and you, you, you enter heaven, when you, give, when you say, your, when you last breath, the Lord's going to carry you and transfer you into a place called heaven. You'll be with him forever. I love this. And we see also the forgiveness, the redemption. We've been purchased by his blood. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives our sin. I mean, we can baptize somebody a thousand times, and there's no power in that tub. The power is in the blood, and when you believe in Jesus Christ, he transforms and changes your life. And then you want to get baptized. Thinking about that baptism story with Jesus again. What did he say about his son? My beloved son. It's the same image here. His dear son, in verse 13, the kingdom of his dear son, his beloved son, his darling son. That's his son that he gave, his one and only, so that he would die for us. Man, that's why we, we, we rejoice and we have joy and gratitude. And we think of all the things that God's done for us. Jared Wilson, an author of a book called Gospel Wakefulness, he says in this, the concept of gospel wake, wakefulness is treasure Christ more greatly Savor his power more sweetly as we know him more deeply. I love that's a great sentence. Treasure him more. And the idea of this, this concept is, is in a scenario that he paints, and it, it really resonated with me because I had this experience in my own life as a, as a college student. I was at junior college, and we lived up on a hill. We had two railroad tracks, one in front of our house, one behind our house. And the one behind our house was pretty close. I mean, it rumbled the house sometimes when trains come through. I just grew up with trains. We slept with trains. They would come by our house. And it never bothered me. I could sleep through a tornado, I guess now. But the idea of this train, it was like, I don't remember what time of year it was. It obviously was warmer weather. But there was this kid we heard. It was car just down there. With, and there was a place where the farmer could go out into his field and cross over. But he had centered his car on the railroad track. And this, we could hear the tires, and my dad and I, we all got up, and we're out there looking at this car, and then all of a sudden, we realized this guy's in danger. And there is a, a uh, our neighbor, Wayne, uh, the farmer, came over with his tractor and tried to pull his, his car across, and couldn't get it across, and then we heard the invariable whistle of the train way down the road. And they could not get that train off. Nobody got hurt. But his car got hurt. That car, it took forever for that train to stop. Well, Jared Wilson in his book tells a similar story of a mother who got her car stuck on the, on the, the tracks in a similar way. The car died. She couldn't get it going. And she was trying to get it. And then she looked up to her horror and saw a train barreling down coming on her. And she's trying to get the seatbelt off, and she's frozen with fear and can't get the seatbelt off because of the trains coming. And all of a sudden, she feels this behind her. And she goes across, and then impact happens, and this truck is hit and goes. 
And she is rattled and shaken, and she gets out of the car, and she realizes that man gave his life to save her and sacrificially went through and took the blow of the train engine. And she's sitting there, and Jared tells this story in his book how that she sat on the back of the trunk and just like, and all of a sudden she's hearing this noise, like a whimper. And unbeknownst to her, her kids had been playing hide-and-seek before she left the house. And one of the kids had hid in the trunk. And there was one of, the, one of her kids, her son, was in the trunk. Can you imagine the joy, the gratitude? Can you imagine how she felt about Jesus and the deliverance that she had and the price that was paid? And, I, and you, can make the, you can make the carryover. That's the kind of life he wants us to live, that we're so aware of what God is doing in our life that we just, we're, just so, we're so in tune with him. Our walk is so close to him that we know what he wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. I land this plane today with a call to action. And I've got three call to actions for you. Number one, you'll see it on the screen, is come to Christ right now. Believe in him. He took the blow on the cross for you and for me. And if you'd give your life to Christ right now, he will save you. You don't have to come up here and pray a big prayer and do the big production. No, right where you're at, you can say, Jesus, save me. And he will. If you truly call out to him. And then as you grow as a Christian, he's going to show you what your will is, what his will is. He's going to show you how to please him. He's going to show you how to deal with battles in your life. He's going to show you how to, to, uh, to walk and gauge everything by eternity's sake. He's going to change your whole perspective. And one of your first acts of obedience is to be baptized. And you, because you love Jesus and he's changed your life, you want to be baptized. I'm telling you, I'll be up here to talk with you. I'll hang up here while, while the, hang out here while the band's playing. Doug will be available if you want to talk to Doug. Um, any of us, somebody you know who's a believer, pull them aside and we'll be glad to help talk with you about what it means to come to Christ. That's the gospel. I couldn't get through this without quoting a guy by the name of Tim Keller. Tim Keller went to be with the Lord Jesus this week. He was a pastor in New York City, and God used mightily. I love this quote from Tim Keller. If you're not a believer here today, hear this quote loud and clear. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Tim Keller. He's experiencing the joy He's experiencing the eternal gratitude. He's received his inheritance. He is worshiping around the throne, the dear son, the one who purchased our redeemer. He's worshiping him now. If you don't know him, that's not, that's not going to happen for you. You're either saved or you're lost. There's no middle ground with this. Second thing I've asked you to do is stop trying, start praying Scripture. Paul has a prayer in Ephesians 3. Paul has this prayer in Colossians. Paul has a prayer everywhere throughout the scriptures. He's got prayers. Pray, start with the Lord's Prayer. And let it be your template. Let it be your framework. And this framework for this prayer is God's will. It is, it is pleasing God. And it's about uh, attack and testing. And it's about eternity. Let that be your framework as you pray through this scripture. And let 
pray that back to the Lord. And you know when you pray scripture, you're praying God's will. I challenge every believer here to start praying scripture and start being conscious of God 24-7. Even when you're sleeping, read something before you go to bed so that the Lord takes your thoughts and guides them through your night. Walk with him when you're riding your bike, when you're driving the car. Think about him. Don't let minutes and minutes go by without having a thought about God and what God's done for you. Let it be real as you stay abiding with him. And lastly, don't try to be Atlas. You're trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulder. Just give it to Jesus. He already took it on the cross. He said, come to me, all you weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He wants to learn from me. He said, I'm gentle and humble. Just take that now. So we're going to have a song, and we're going to have a time where you can right now, whatever God has said to you about this through this passage, through these scriptures, give this to the Lord Jesus today. One of these three things or something else the Spirit has put his finger on. I'll be up here off to the side if you want to talk or pray. Got a special prayer request? I'm here for you. Okay. If you want to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, we'll make that happen. That'd be fun, and we—it's a great, joyous time. Let's sing together. <laughs>